Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Voyage. Welcome to Watch This Tonight. I'm your host, Dan Benamore. This is the show for when you're looking at your five streaming services, work is done, kids are asleep, glass of something is poured. This is your time to relax. But you can't figure out what is a good thing to watch. A wrong choice in that moment can ruin your night. When you're in that position, just search Watch This Tonight anywhere you get podcasts for bite-sized recommendations of the best movies, TV, and documentaries to stream. Most episodes are about 10 minutes. First half is spoiler-free, so you can decide if you want to see it. The back half has spoilers, so we can break down the juiciest parts after you've seen the movie, TV show, documentary in question. We also occasionally have special guests and do Watch This Tonight All-Stars, classic movies you can rewatch for years that play different with the passage of time. Those episodes have spoilers. At Watch This Tonight, there's always something good to watch. Let's get started. All right, today on the show, I'm very excited. We're going to be talking about Leviathan, which is an incredible Russian movie. It was Russia's uh, entry to the Academy Awards, played at Cannes, you know, was a very acclaimed movie. And uh, this came out of a conversation with my guest, who is Matt from the Tipsy Tolstoy podcast. Matt, if you could introduce yourself to listeners and tell them who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Matt Gerasimovich. I'm a PhD student in Russian literature, studying Russian literature film, all that good stuff at Northwestern University. And as Dan said, I co-host the Tipsy Tolstoy podcast, which is an attempt to break down those big, scary Russian novels and make them accessible to people who think, man, I wish I could read War and Peace, but oh, it's just so long. <laughs> <laughs> I am really glad that you reached out and I'm really glad that we found this movie to watch. I um I'm always fascinated by learning stuff about Russia. I think that now, obviously with where we're at current events, People think of Russia almost like the evil empire from Star Wars. And, right, right. Um, you know, Russia has such a fascinating history. And I think in a way, we'll talk about this movie specifically, Leviathan. I'm interested to know from your perspective, if it presents an accurate depiction to people of like life in Russia, because it's a pretty right, right. insane movie. Um, <laughs> and I'll just tell the listeners, like, especially if this is a movie that you haven't seen, I put it this way. If you're, if you know, you're not going to see the movie, you should still listen to this podcast because this is Absolutely. it's it is a really an important film in like world cinema and was like super acclaimed for good reason. And just us telling you what happens, I think actually will be still pretty entertaining. 
Um, we'll we'll avoid spoil. I'll give a spoiler warning when we get into like major spoilers, though. So I do think you should watch it though, just because it was so visually captivating. I thought, even though the plot I thought was kind of sparse, actually, just the the visuals of everything was. I I loved it. It's it's a movie that takes a little while to get moving, and you're mm-hmm. you're like twenty <laughs> minutes in, you're like twenty five minutes in, and you're like. Man, I hope this is not going to be just like a super boring two and a half hour movie. It is not. Let me be first. <laughs> Let me tell you very clearly. So this is the setup. We're in Russia. We're in a small town. There's a guy. His name is Kolya. Kolya is just a kind of working class guy. It just so happens that his house is at this beautiful like seaside location. And so the Russian court in a hilarious scene for from an American perspective where they just read I guess this is what it makes it seem like Russian court is. They just read to you what's going to happen. <laughs> There's no discussion. Uh, the court is like, we've decided we're going to add extra property. We've decided it's worth X amount because we just made up this number and we're taking your house. And the mayor shows up at this guy's house drunk in the middle of the night. And he tells him, you've never had any rights. Not you don't have any right. You've never had any rights. But he has a friend who's a lawyer. His name is Dima. The lawyer says, we're going to file a complaint. So they go to file a complaint and it, they're, they're making them wait forever. So Kolya just screams at them and they arrest him. <laughs> and then Dima goes to court to talk to a judge. There's no judge available. The most amazing part of this, this is a movie partially funded by the Russian government. Oh, that, that gave me a kick instantly when I saw that pop up. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> because, you know, there's a long history of this in China. I remember I watched a film that was, you know, again, funded partially by the Chinese government. And what, what filmmakers do is they use allegory to criticize the country, um, but like somehow sneak it by the film right. body. And that's kind of what's happening here. But I mean, it, I don't think it's that much of an allegory. <laughs> like, what did, what, what did you make of all that? I thought that it was, well, two things. First, I, I don't know that the censorship is as restrictive as uh, it, it was in the Soviet Union, for instance. So the, it would make sense that a film like this is possible for it to get made, of course. I did read when doing some research on the film, though, that there was some administrative holdup on releasing it in Russia because of the profanity used. And so it was initially circulated through a pirated copy, which, I mean, I guess art imitates life there. Um, it was kind of funny to read about the history of that. So we're gonna we'll we'll sort of walk further into this, and there's there's stuff that's even more a direct criticism of Russia in the movie that we'll talk about. But just to kind of walk the, you along the plot, so now this guy Kolya is in prison. The lawyer blackmails the mayor, and he's like, "Hey, I have this document of all the terrible stuff you've done." And the then Kolya gets released, and it's like, "Man, this Russian this lawyer from Moscow, like he's really gonna help him out." But unfortunately, he's sleeping with his wife, which not much help, <laughs> which, by the way, at the beginning of the movie, and I'm so interested, you're you're not married. No. OK, so I'd be really interested to know if you caught this as well as someone who's not married and is presumably younger than me. Um, there's a scene early in the movie when they're all at the table. Kolya gets up and his wife, I think her name is Lilia. She goes to like clean the table or something. But she does it in such a way that she gets just a little bit too close to the to the lawyer guy. And it's very subtle. But for me as a married guy, I'm like, she's definitely fucking him. Like there's the, the second I saw that, okay. I was like, case closed. That's and and I the whole rest of the movie, I was looking for that. And then eventually hmm. they 
pay it off in a very dramatic fashion. She sort of emerges out of frame, like, you know, nude from the waist down and, and it's, you know, a very striking moment, but did you sense it before they paid it off? Yes, but not in that specific scene. Just, I, I don't know exactly this particular scene. I have to go back and like watch it again. I just know, right. Russians and Europeans, they have a different conception of personal space. I would say than Americans have. So it is possible, right. That it could be some of that, but I, I got that kind of, sense i don't know i thought the acting especially from the actress who played lilia was really in those sort of micro facial movements i don't know i thought she just was phenomenal on this yeah my favorite part of the whole movie and this Mm -hmm. is not not a spoiler uh but it's probably the part right before we'll get into the spoilers so they go to a lake to get drunk and one of the great (laughs) joys of watching this film is that when they drink vodka you know normal person let's say you get a little water cup right maybe you fill it a third of the way and, you know, take it as a shot. They fill it to the brim, to the top. You wouldn't drink yeah, I think water three like of that. Them, I think three of them polished off one fifth about. So that was pretty impressive. <laughs> um, and then they're like, all right, now that we're drunk, let's do some target shooting. And so they said, right, I've got my uh, machine gun. Let's I've see got my AK-47. <laughs> Their kids are here, by the way. This is like a family. Oh, um, and then they run out of targets so they're like, we need more targets. And they have somebody has picture frames of like Lenin, Gorbachev. And then Kolya goes, Do you have anyone more current? <laughs> I was like, this is like really bold. I'm 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 watching it like, man, I hope they don't murder the filmmaker. Like <laughs> it's it seemed yeah, to it me bold. as very bold. Um, so yeah, I mean, is there is it perhaps am I overestimating the severity of criticizing the Russian? government <laughs> or or is this just like very very bold i think it is bold but i don't know if it's necessarily as dangerous of a thing to do or is 2014 so i i don't know right it was released in russia obviously people knew what the film was about it won awards in russia um but the director of course does have his gripes with russia it's not like uh, everything's perfect there he definitely has has gotten into some some tiffs if you will over right, artistic freedom in Russia specifically. I I read something, I think um, somewhere when I'm doing research on this, that people criticize the film for having the drinking be so extreme. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you think the drinking is like way exaggerated or is it accurate? I, it's like a yes and a no. So I did spend some time in Russia studying there, but I was in St. Petersburg. So it, different demographic than what's depicted in the film for sure. And I would definitely say, in my experience, the Russians actually drink less than the Americans did. But maybe that was uh, a result of my particular study abroad cohort. Can't say for sure. Um, I, I do think that it is a problem that has long plagued Russian society. And they've tried to take steps to reduce and minimize drinking. And I think you could see like a positive effect on younger generations. But of course, what's depicted here is not the young generation. It's the decay of this particular yeah. generation. Because they are just nonstop, just slamming full glasses of vodka. It's I, right. I would I would die if I did what they did in this film. Um, I had I think I would too. <laughs> a little insight into me. My brother in law returned from a trip, uh, like an international trip, and he brought me back a little thing of rum from Spain. And I said, uh-huh. "Oh, let me try it." And I put this much. I'm 35 years old. I put this much rum, and much, and I and I'm feeling it today. <laughs> So watching this was very like, um, anyway, so they're having this, uh, you know, pleasant family outing to the lake to shoot guns and drink vodka with their children. 
And um, uh, Lilia and Dima go off to, they make some excuse, like they're going to go get firewood or something. And they, they're like, we'll go next to the waterfall. And then two of the kids also go next to the waterfall. And one of them comes back and says, Dima was choking Lilia. And so we know as the adults, obviously watching, that means they were having sex. And the adults also know. And so there's this incredible moment where Kolia and another one of the guys runs off and, and we hear, we see um, actually the wife of one of the guys take the guns and like start putting them away because she's obviously worried they're going to murder them. Right. And then we hear my thought too. we hear shooting and then it cuts away and and the cut is so abrupt and you're like, did they murder them? Like what happened? (laughs) You know? And so this is where I'm going to do the spoiler break uh, for listeners. So if you do want to watch it after this, we have, we have to get into spoilers. <laughs> um, but I would say, yeah, I would say definitely watch it. But also like, if you know, you're not going to watch it, keep listening. Cause it's, it's, a, you should know about this movie. So uh, it turns out they did not die. <laughs> I guess uh, there's no explanation of what the gunshots were. I guess they maybe missed them or something. We see uh, Dima is bloodied up. And again, they kind of play with, the movie does a really good job of like setting us up with an ambiguous kind of question and then cutting away. Dima tells Lilia, like, come with me. Let's go to Moscow, you know? And, and you're sort of thinking like, yeah, go with him <laughs> as the viewer. You're, and, but she does go back to Kolya. Meanwhile, Dima is taken by the mayor and they stage a mock execution of him. So we think they're going to shoot him, but instead they shoot like next to him and leave him alive. But a very clear warning. If you keep messing with us, you will be killed. And they also make reference to his daughter. So obviously a threat to his daughter. Meanwhile, the son who already has witnessed this affair has the double thing of witnessing his parents having sex afterwards, which understandably causes him psychological break. The worst. Yeah. (laughs) This kid has the worst time in the whole movie out of anyone. He's got to be a future serial killer or something. Um, Including the guy who almost got executed. I think he's having a better day than the kid. <laughs> What's a, what, I was reading um, the synopsis online and someone wrote it. I was curious if you had this reading. So Kolya, um, when Lilia comes back, his wife, so she, now he, she knows that he knows that she was having an affair. The first thing she says to him is, do you want to have a child? Then we see them have sex what I, the synopsis that I read online put it as he forced himself on her. But I didn't read it that way at all because she tells him, do you want to have a child? And then after we see them having sex, she is m- much more visually like she's touching his arm. She's offering him tea. Like she's engaging with him way more. So I didn't read it as non-consensual. I read it as consensual, but like just super passionate. Well, how did you read that when they come back together? Yeah, I had a, I had a similar reading when I read it online. I was like, "Oh, did I did I miss something critical on this part of the film?" I think that maybe it maybe it's a a reading backwards from the end with how right yeah how has tried to be framed. But so that would, I think to me that would be an incorrect yeah I agree. summary perhaps. And then one of the parts I thought was amazing of the movie is Kolya can see that his son Roma um, is now being really mean to his mom. And so he tells him when they're alone, he says, forgive her. She's a good person. And Roma says, have you forgiven her? And he says, I'm trying to. And it's really great character depth because this character of Kolya is introduced, by the way, hilariously. <laughs> I say hilarious. It's not hilarious that he beats his kid. But in context, the way that it's presented is sort of funny because his kid is being a huge jerk. 
and we sort of honestly are sort of like rooting for him to hit the kid. He smacks him on the back of the head. And um, and then somebody says, like, don't hit the kid. And he says, oh, we're just playful. We're being playful. <laughs> <laughs> so he's introduced as like a rough character, obviously. And mm-hmm. uh, we don't anticipate that he will have the depth of feeling and the vulnerability and the sweetness to really forgive his wife for having an affair and to not even do that, but to tell the son, Hey, don't, don't treat your mom. Don't mistreat your mom. Like she doesn't deserve that. She's a good person. So he is very kind about it. And then we see um, there's a moment when he's not able to reach her and he's looking at videos of her on his phone, like sadly on a overturned boat. (laughs) Uh, and, (laughs) And she just, you really feel that he clearly loves her deeply. And so then the turn is she commits suicide anyway. And Kolya asks God why and is then arrested for the murder. <laughs> yep. It's so – this would be a great actually question to ask you about Russian literature. So obviously Russia, in terms of weather and stuff, pretty inhospitable part of the world. Russian sure. history with Stalin and um, you know the, the, the sort of um, – the life of peasants in Russia and all this stuff. There's just a lot of rough history in Russia. Right. Is that why a lot of Russian literature, Russian cinema is very bleak? Does that come out of that? I don't know. Maybe if it's just the weather, perhaps, but I will say definitely it's drawing on a longstanding tradition in Russian literature of this. And one of the, one of the things I will say that I found interesting was that the director was inspired, actually, the original story that inspired him was something that happened in the U.S. Mm. And then he read a short story that was older and had a similar sort of theme, and then he realized, oh, wait a minute, this is actually something bigger and more universal. So he tried to kind of place it in the Russian context. And so you have a couple, right, peculiarities of the Russian context in the film, but it really is, yeah... Like it is focusing on this sort of everyday aspect. Um, obviously, they're not peasants, right? But they're, you know, somebody who is not uh, n- not carrying any favor with the government by any means. Well, it's the Russian Russian story of Job, right? So the story of Job <laughs> in the Bible is it's basically God and the devil are like, hey, you know, uh, I think if I remember correctly, and forgive me if I get this wrong, uh, but. The uh, God and the devil are arguing about like faith and the idea that people only have faith in God because nothing bad is happening to them. But if you make enough bad stuff happen to them, they'll lose faith in God. And God's like, oh, yeah, well, let me I'll show you. Jo- Job won't lose faith in me no matter what I do to him. And so then Job like loses his house, his wife, loses everything. But he still keeps his faith. And then in in this movie, they reference that. So there's a there's like mm-hmm. a priest who tells Kolya by the story of Job. And that Job, you know, eventually lived to be 140 and was content because he sort of accepted his fate. And Kolya does not do that. <laughs> no. um, so, again, it's like this fatalism of Russia. Um, I remember we did on my old podcast, Eastern Promises, and I brought on a guy who was Russian, a friend of mine. And we talked about a scene in the movie when the old school Russian, like, uncle spits in the face of a guy he knows is in the Russian mafia. And I was like, this that was pretty nuts. And he was like, I didn't think that was un- unrealistic at all. He's like, I know people who would do that. <laughs> the what fatalism you, in the film is definitely very prevalent. What do you think? Um, do you think that like the average, like let's, let's take, for example, the average American versus the average Russian. 
is there a sort of, I don't know if toughness is the right word, but like an edge there that maybe is not present in other countries <laughs> in the average Russian citizen? Maybe. I think you can see what exactly was changed from the inspiration story. I don't know if you had read about or remember this happening. I was really young when this happened. It was the story of Marvin Hemeyer, and he went on a rampage when the government tried to steal his land, and he uh, poured a bunch of cement around like a bulldozer tractor thing that he had and was driving it around and destroyed a town hall and uh, kind of tragically ended up shooting himself after he drove it into the basement of a hardware store. And that's a guy who did not take it from the government laying down. No, he went on an absolute rampage, destroying buildings and whatnot. But the end of this film is, of course, Kolya's house getting destroyed yep. by the government. And yep. so that's a pretty big uh, change from the original source material to the film that we see today. My, and my, so... Yeah. My, my reaction to the end of this film was like similar to my reaction to the end of The Sopranos. Like, literally... You get to the end of the movie. Kolya has been arrested for the murder of his wife, who he obviously loved deeply. And I don't think there's any reading of the film where you can really think that he did this. Even though they say right. that they have like a hammer, then they matched it or whatever, which is something that's not really explained. Like, did they just make that up? Or I, I didn't know what to make of that. I think it's drawing on like the kind of Soviet show trials that happened. Right. I think just right. kind of falsified evidence. That was what I kind of took it to yeah. be. So then we get to the end and we're at church. And the mayor is at church. The mayor, who has been very clearly established, is a total shitbag. And the mayor is at church. And the priest, who, by the way, has been giving the mayor advice, is like the conciliary of the mayor, um, is giving this whole speech. And the mayor leaves. And he's talking to some guy who presumably is going to buy this land. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to put in some landscaping. We'll do a refectory, I think he says. And, um, and you're watching it. And you're like... Okay, but what happened to Kolya? And then it just ends. And you're like, that's the end of the movie? Yep. I was I was like devastated by it. That's good. I think that's how you're supposed to end with it. So crazy. I did see there was a an interesting scene right before this. It was one of the few that I saw that was mirrored in the film where it was either the mayor or his son. They look up to the top of the church in the cupola and it's closed. And there's nothing, there's also nothing up there, which is weird. Normally there's like windows or icons or something in the very top. They're kind of looking down at you. And just not that long before this, as Kolya goes to the abandoned church where his son's friends are drinking, he's drinking out of the bottle and he looks up into the top of that church, right? And it's open. And so this was a really interesting thing that I had noticed uh, on, on on this watch through. That's great. Yeah, because I mean, essentially, the real dark reading of the movie, but it's clearly available is that the, the church is corrupt, right? Because the church, I mean, essentially, so before the uh, mock execution of Dima, the reason that happens is the mayor goes to the priest and he's trying to like, he doesn't know what to do. And the priest is like, stop being a bitch. Basically. That's essentially what the priest tells him. And <laughs> yeah. like the priest is like, just go take care of your business. Don't complain about it. And, um, and then he goes and does that. And then it's the priest who gives the big speech at the end, but we sort of take the priest as corrupt. We don't really buy into by by the movie's sort of moral logic. And then the kids who are in the rundown abandoned building, it's almost like, hey, at least they're honest, right? Like they're not right. They're not hip- hypocritical, or you know, they. So, so it's almost like that's the more real church in a weird way. 
Yeah, it was kind of an, an interesting uh, criticism of the church. I think it... Well, after the film was released and it had some difficulties in Russia, I believe there was actually an interview with the metropolitan of the area in which the film uh, was made. And they were asking him, like, do you think this film should be banned? Because there were a lot of uh, Orthodox people in Russia that wanted the film banned or were didn't like it, basically. And the Metropolitan basically said, if you don't like what you see in the film, then you should try looking inward because it's presenting some actually like real problems. Wow. And so I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing. There was a couple other uh, priests or bishops that were interviewed about it that had kind of a similar reading uh, Mm. of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that in a way is sort of sad about where we now stand with Russia um, because my impression of the Russian populace is, you know, hyper-educated, you know, there's such a rich history, obviously, in your case of studying their literature, right? Like, it really, Russia has a long legacy of the arts, of, you know, like, intellect. Mm-hmm. intellect. Um, and um, I think that now everything is sort of drowned out by what's going on in the world. Um, and that's sort of why I think eventually it will have to change. Like, Russia can't, can't stay the way that it is now forever. Uh, there's just not... It just doesn't make sense that it would be like that inevitable, um, indefinitely. Um, because yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. It's it's what's the uh, what is the state of Russian art today? Like, or is you know, because it's not like we get a lot of like Russian, especially now, uh, Russian cinema being exported or major Russian novels that are being passed around that I hear about at least. Like, what's the state of arts in Russia today? I can say just for me personally, because I have been working on a lot of film lately since the beginning of the invasion of Ukraine, a lot of things have been pulled from online, actually. I think that for a while, it was actually getting very good and open. You could find these sort of sources like very readily available just on like Russian internet. You could find like any any film that you wanted. You could just basically find it. And now I see a lot of things that have been... I, I don't know if it's a d- direct impact of this or what it is exactly, but definitely have seen for myself just uh, difficult to find certain things that I know used to be uh, available. A lot of major Soviet writers used to have very well-maintained websites where you could find like all of their works for free just online and resources about them. And a lot of them have just either, I don't know if it's, you know, directly or you know, maybe consciously right taken away, but, or if it's just kind of a lack of funding in those sort of areas, but it's definitely something that I've kind of noticed have you ever seen the documentary where um, the guy who created Everybody Loves Raymond goes to Russia and they they redo Everybody Loves Raymond, but like with Russian people? Nope, but I'm going to go watch that after this podcast. <laughs> it is so funny. It's unbelievable. Okay. It's literally just they get a call from Russia. It's it's You couldn't make it up. Like literally he goes to Russia and he meets like the Russian head of comedy and he looks <laughs> like an ex-KGB agent. Like he, does, he looks like this humorless they go to like the Russian comedy headquarters. It's like this drab gray building. <laughs> it's, it's so good. I love it so much. Um, yeah. I, I'm endlessly fascinated by Russia. I, um, I wrote a script one time that dealt with um, the Russian prison system. So I studied mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the Russian mafia and the prison tattoos, which are their sort of their own language. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I've always, I've always found it fascinating. If you look at world history, you know, with Stalin and Russia and then, and sort of like how that's still reverberating in Russia so many years later. 
it's just a fascinating country. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, again, unfortunately, because of where we're at in the world now, I think people sort of just think of Russia as like scary bad guys. And right. And, and there's just a lot more going on under the surface there. I think that this film is kind of interesting for that in a way, though, because it doesn't really work itself out. I no. was reading this essay by uh, Dmitry Bikov, who's a really well-known Russian art literary critic. And he wrote an article about this film and he posed a rhetorical question at the end asking, is it really the authorities' fault that all the characters hate each other? They drink like hell and they don't believe in anything. And, you know, I kind of thought, right, the main conflict of the film is the government trying to take this land. But even if Kolya gets the land, does it resolve this underlying issue? Not yeah. really. And so that's where a lot of the... I think that's kind of where a lot of the satire of it comes from. Is just that it doesn't even really matter in kind of a deeper sense of the way. Yeah, I mean, I guess technically Kolya could take whatever money they gave him and you know get an apartment somewhere and probably be all right. But you know, but his best friend, right? Still, his best, maybe oldest friend, still having an affair with his wife. Uh, his son hates his stepmother. It's a disaster. <laughs> yeah, his personal life is pretty rough. There, there's a great. Um... It's, you, t- you mentioned earlier Russian personal space. There's a moment early <laughs> in the in the movie when uh, Kolya and Dima is very intentional, right? Like they're drinking together, and they're like practically like I don't even know how to describe it. They're like they're like male cuddling, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. touching each other's faces, and, and they're just all over each other. And uh, it really sets up that they're such close friends that the betrayal is so much worse because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think that was weird. That's a pretty common i would say with close friends in russia i love it i I, I saw that and i was like i know some people are going to try to read into this in a way that's not intended but it's definitely in in russia remind me because i'm i'm uh, french moroccan so french moroccan we do one on on each cheek in russia what is what is the kissing etiquette pretty sure you get three so it's one two three on each cheek yep Mm -hmm. great well, that is the end of the episode. Um, I'm not sure if you, the audience, will notice the change in audio here. I'll give you a little behind-the-scenes uh, insight. We had a apocalyptic internet disruption here at the uh, Benamore headquarters, and um, <laughs> uh, so we had to abruptly end, but we were sort of at the tail end anyway. I do want to make sure to tell you that you can follow Matt on Instagram at Matt Geras, G-E-R-A-S, on Twitter at I'm going to put all these in the show notes. Majorisimovich. Majorasimovich. Yes, Majorasimovich. And then for the podcast, these ones are a lot easier to hear, uh, at Tipsy Tolstoy Podcast on Instagram and at Tipsy Tolstoy on Twitter. But all that stuff will be in the show notes. I want to thank Matt so much for coming on the show. He was a great guest. Really enjoyed chatting with him. And encourage you to check out his podcast, Tipsy Tolstoy, studying of Russian literature and film um, and sort of making it palatable to people and more accessible. That is the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, uh, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, best way to support the podcast. Until next time, bye-bye.